there we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Freightonomics, everybody. The show where we combine the freight markets and the macroeconomics of the environment into one giant ball of data and information. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence, and joining me, as always, is... Anthony Smith, lead economist here at FreightWaves. Yes, and we have got a big show today. We've got Dr. Zach Rogers coming on here in a little while. But first up, we need to thank our sponsor, Amazon Freight. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, Amazon Freight, who knows you need more than another truckload services provider. You need a partner that can help you navigate the world of logistics and plan for the future. Amazon Freight is helping shippers move their freight simply and reliably while backed by the innovation and expertise that's in the DNA of Amazon. Whether you have a few truckloads to fill or thousands to move, Amazon Freight is your partner for the road ahead. Visit freight.amazon.com to get started, and man, will they be busy here in the next month or so. Something coming up? <laughs> I mean... Are we in the middle of something? We are, we're not in the middle of it yet. Mm. Retail peak season, the traditional height of spot market activity and spot market rates uh, here in the United States of America... Just around the corner, we typically hit it right in, you know, it's it's not always super consistent Yeah. when we hit it. You know, it's it can be a little bit or like right around Thanksgiving or it can be a little bit later towards Christmas, depending on the, you know, the volatility and the products that are moving. But yeah, we are headed that way right now. Our outbound tender rejection index shot up to start the month of November. It was a little bit unprecedented in the way that it jumped. It looked like things were settling down at the end of October. We normally see an end of the month spike. This time we saw a beginning of the month spike yeah. in November, yeah. shot up from like 24.5% to 27% in a matter of days. The first significant jump we've seen like that since September around Labor Day. Yeah, and one of the things that you just brought up, of course, we have that retail holiday season yeah. coming up here. Um, typically in the past, we have things, of course, like Black Friday, where everyone yeah. just bum rushes to the store and just kind of lines up parks in uh, the parking lot and at all hours of the morning. Then we have that Cyber, was it Cyber Monday? Cyber Monday comes on after Thanksgiving. Right after Thanksgiving. And so one of the things that we've noticed, or at least I've noticed, is that a lot of outlets are starting their Black Friday mm -hmm. deals. And so a lot of those goods are already now on sale or now being kind of stocked up as if it was Black Friday. It's like, uh, <laughs> a, I don't know, Black November or something like that. Like the entire month like that. is just going to be a, a blackout deal. Black, blackout. Man, you have, you were all full of puns today. Black <laughs> November, <it>. blackout, <laughs> the blackout deals. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think everybody's kind of realized that capacity is not getting better anytime soon. Uh, and we did just have a few things, uh, you know, come to fruition here in the month of November as well as we got our election results in for the most part, uh, pending any kind of, uh, you know, disputes that may come. But I think we've we've got it pretty much figured out at this point. And the COVID cases are, are back back yeah. on the rise again. Um, and we're going to dive into that here a little bit. But first, I want to take a minute to thank all of those that have served in our for our country, uh, for our freedoms. There are a lot of countries out there that do not get to recognize the freedoms that we have here. And a lot of that is due in part to the military personnel that have chosen to sacrifice their time, their lives uh, for what we have here in the United States. And thank you very much for your service. Well mm -hmm. um, yeah, and... Speaking of that service, you know, they're protecting our right to choose, and we voted in the election here in the last week or two, and we got a result. That was a thing. That was a thing. Uh, you know, some of the biggest 
stories of the day are arising because of this. Now, this one I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on because I think it's a non-starter uh, for the most part. But we have, uh, you know, kind of this group of truckers stop the tires. They're going to supposedly shut down their movement. We had something like this, like, you know, Black Smoke Matters mm. back in the day or, you know, smoke, you know, it, it was something on the, the same <laughs> lines of we're not going to drive our trucks in protest of something and they're yeah. protesting uh you know the election outcome etc and they've gotten together in social media and said we're not going to drive i don't think it's going to cause any real capacity constraints do you anthony <laughs> i don't think so i mean but i mean if it was widespread enough of yeah. I, of course there is going to be who can stop the flow of the country of course truck drivers could but i don't really see this getting that much momentum in order to like really kind of be a starter yeah, if you look at what the truck or you subscribe to what the truck's newsletter, which I highly recommend that you do, uh, it breaks it down pretty pretty simply for you. It gives you outlines of who's involved, what it really means, and what people actually think about it. Yeah, so most of the most of the outcome was really uh, they're really saying they're not going to drive, hoping that that has some sort of you know monetary impact to rates. Mm-hmm. You know, in peak season. Yeah. So they're going to go drive while these other people are sitting at home, you know, protesting. <laughs> Yeah. And and speaking of rates, we I mean, I forgot to mention I'm here live on LinkedIn. If you're currently watching, um, we're streaming at two o'clock Eastern Standard Time on a Wednesday. (laughs) And I am watching those comments and I'm already seeing people chime in here. Warren Dixon saying, hey, how's it going? Hello, Warren. Um, James Fry says, do you see an increase in the spot market for the holiday season this year? How will COVID-19 affect this? Yeah, we're going to hit on that. That's that's actually one of the big topics of the show uh, today. Um, before we get into that, uh, which we will answer that question um, with some detail, you know, we do have, you know, again, following this, you know, here's here's my argument for why all these feelings that you like to to cite are kind of kind of silly. All feelings. All feelings. Useless. <laughs> um, you know, there was a, a piece on the Wall Street Journal, uh, basically saying that how do you feel about the economy now that the election has, has uh, you know, been resolved? And, you know, this is going to come as a shock to you, but uh, the majority of Republicans now feel uh, worse about the economy, um, and a majority of the Democrats actually feel better about mm. the economy moving forward. Gotcha. So, you know. So was this, <laughs> were, were these just like people with, throughout the country or like people actually in office? Uh, these are people in the country, gotcha, like, gotcha, throughout the gotcha, country. There was gotcha. a survey done, Wall Street Journal. Um, I was like, wow, that's, that's tremendous. I can't imagine. <laughs> so half the country is upset. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 50-50. You gotcha. know, just about 50-50, the way that things are nowadays. And, uh, and something that has been politicized uh, in this country, and, and I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, Break it down a little bit because it is, I think it is an important discussion to have. And we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Rogers a little bit about what he thinks about all this. Uh, the COVID increasing, COVID cases increasing. Now, the, the political, you know, sides of this argument are one side says we have to shut down the country to save lives, go into, you know, some form of economic you know, shut down mode to save lives, et cetera. The other side says you're going to sacrifice more lives. If, sh- if you shut down the economy, you're going to reduce our economy to rubble. And, you know, the, the handful of lives that you're going to save are end up going to be a moot point in the end. That's, it's kind of like the way that our country is right now, black yeah. and white, very divided on, you know, you have to have either have one or one of two outcomes. Yeah. 
Whereas, you know, I was, I was actually kind of like sitting here going, well, that this is, this is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) There's not, there's a whole range of outcomes and answers and potential solutions to just about any problem, specifically COVID. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people cite places like Japan, South Korea is having a very successful way of mitigating the virus and flattening the curve without serious economic impact. Mm -hmm. South Korea uh, expected to have a 0.8% decline in their overall economy this year, the best of the developed countries yeah. overall. So I dove a little deeper into what, what did South Korea do? Now, again, you have to remove the fact or kind of ignore the fact that we do have some significant cultural differences between our countries and economies. They, we are far more diverse yeah. than South Korea is. We're also, we do have a lot less regulation in this country versus South Korea in terms of social and economic, uh, you know, I guess I don't want to call it freedoms, but, you know, anti, like they have a lot more uh, regulation. They also have a lot more eyes on their society. Yeah, there's a lot of tracking going on, Lots in, of in, tracking. especially in South Korea. Uh, Singapore did a, a really, I don't know if you would call mm-hmm. it a great job or a scary job <laughs> of tracking, but they, they were on it immediately as soon as like the pandemic really started to ramp up, mm-hmm. tracking cases and really how it spread. Yes. And, and this, is, this is where, you know, it's nice to say like, yeah, South Korea can do it. Why can't we? But we're not getting into the details of why. Yeah. Well, South Korea has all this technology and these, these functions and these mechanisms in place already in their society where they're tracking, tracing. They know where people are going, what they're doing all the time. Yeah. They know when you're testing positive and when you're not. And they know if you've been naughty or nice. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, and, the, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's a very subtle cultural difference. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'll download an app on my phone and I was like, well, this app tracks your location history. I'm like, all right, I'm deleting this right now. Yeah. I don't want any parts of it. <laughs> I mean, well, that not might be an option in certain countries. Yeah. And they know, and they were able to target. And this is where, this is actually applicable to us. We can actually do some of this in the United States where we can take a targeted measure. Whereas in, you know, in March, we kind of just said, everybody shut down. Yeah. <laughs> in South Korea and Japan, they, they were able to target and isolate specific areas of outbreak before they could spread. And again, the, the situation is far from over in South Korea and Japan. They could easily have an outbreak. They had an increase in cases uh, come, out, come on in the summer, uh, just like we did here in America. They got in front of it. But again, they, were have, they had a targeted uh, plan in place where they were shutting down uh, restaurants and churches. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, church is one of the biggest um, causes of the outbreaks there. So they shut those down immediately. There were some protests of the government (laughs) that they were able to shut down. You cannot do that in the United States uh, here. And so again, subtle differences. Everybody there was okay wearing masks. We kind of get upset about it at times. Yeah. Um, But they're able to basically get in front of things with technology. We can do the same thing. We've already done studies about, okay, we're seeing an outbreak. We don't have to shut down the entire economy. Yeah. I don't think that we're going to do that again. I mean, and and that's a big part of it, right? I mean, this very peace approach, because Mm -hmm. I think we touched on it on a show or two ago. I mean, if you look at Utah, Alabama or Crossville, Tennessee, these smaller places aren't going to have the same situations or scenarios or the foot traffic coming in and out of Mm -hmm. those regions compared to New Jersey, New York, California, some parts of California. And so being able to really kind of see where hotbeds are, where there's a lot of traffic is very crucial. And um, I think... uh, just kind of a great summary of what we see in the comments right now. Adrian Bailey says, do you really think the U.S. can afford to enforce this kind, these kinds of mandates 
that these other countries impose. Plus, the culture is much more focused on the collective good versus the individualistic culture that exists here. And I think that's well said. That um, is exactly it, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yes. And, <laughs> no, um, they cannot, I should no, say. No, no. We, we're not going to be able to react like they do. They have infrastructure. They have a much smaller geography. Their cities are, you know, are what they are. They're very connected. Uh, we are very spread out. We don't realize how our geography, not just in land mass, but our geography, our population centers are spread very widely across a very large area, like yeah. Russia. <laughs> yeah. They have a lot of space in between their large population centers. Yeah. Uh, but one of the studies that we have done in the United States to try to figure out where the virus is most likely to be, you know, super spread, uh, gyms, Hotels, which I thought largely were not doing great, yeah. <laughs> but apparently they are doing better than I thought. Um, uh, restaurants, not a shock mm-hmm. in, in any of those cases, but those are the big three in the 10 largest cities in the United States. They did a study just recently, um, and it showed that those were the hot spots for how uh, the virus is transmitted right now. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think um, when you're looking at those areas, I think there's been a lot of, I think, um, trying to really navigate the now COVID lifestyle. I mean, we're looking at gyms. A lot of them are going to be open space. I'm looking at online. I'm seeing a lot of like these open air gyms that have like the garage Mm -hmm. door opened up, but that's going to go so far in certain climates during this time of the year. Especially now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Restaurants, of course, with outdoor seating, trying to mitigate that indoor uh, close Mm -hmm. contact. So it's interesting, interesting to see how everyone mm-hmm. is is really kind of faring with all of this. But um, yeah, we can kind of just mosey on to the to the next segment. I mean, yeah. we have our. our I want to kind of guest. bring Zach into this final story of the day, mm-hmm. Doctor Rogers. Welcome to the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna spring one on you. Uh, sure, Doctor Rogers. Before we get going with uh, yeah. our latest LMI findings, I, I kind of wanted to loop you into some of these topical discussions of the day that we normally start the show with, as you're greatly familiar, I know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we just had the election results and there's still a lot of questions around what this has, what kind of impact this is going to have. You know, policies are changing. You know, you have the the conservatives and the and the, uh, you know, the left side of the, the table really at odds on what this means um, moving forward. I think uh, something that I read today, and this was fascinating to me, is that we're basically in this period, this dead zone. You know, Donald Trump's on his way out. And what that means, and I would like to hear your take on this, uh, is for the next couple of months, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change because we've got a lame duck president right. in office. And we are essentially going to just have to wait for any stimulus resolution until uh, the next guy comes in and it's probably not going to be a super strong one. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. So the, the, that's the thing, right? Your neighbors over there in Georgia have this funny system where sometimes we just have an election again. Uh, yeah, the first right. one was so fun and, <laughs> and not anxiety induced for everybody. And that's, that's really partly the key because you know, the, the, the Senate currently is like, Hey, let's move forward with stimulus, but it's a narrow stimulus. Right. And I think the Democrats are going to see them hold out. Well, if we get two more seats in Georgia, then we can go nuts with a $2 trillion stimulus in January or February. And so I think because of that, it's going to be really difficult for the two sides to agree um, on any sort of uh, COVID stimulus. And, and really, that's, that goes to what you guys were saying. It needs to be smart and targeted. I think in March, we just said, OK, shut everything down, give everybody money. And that was kind of the, because it was an emergency, right? And, you know, right. your house is on fire, run out of the house. Think, think about everything later. <laughs> now, 
it's okay. We can maybe just shut down some targeted things, you know, churches, restaurants, gyms, but then we funnel specific money to them, to those employees, to the you know economies around them and not just shut everything down because shutting everything down isn't, I mean, we tried that and it didn't work. And then the last six months we tried pretending everything was fine. And that also didn't work. Uh, I think you could have some smart regulations, you know, maybe don't have motorcycle rallies in North Dakota. I think that would be a good, a good place to start, you know, little things like that. So, you know, I I think that the election, you know, putting, you know, Democrats in in power in some parts is going to lead to more stimulus, but it's really, we're not going to have that big stimulus come through because one, I don't think that that Congress is interested in committing to anything until they know which which way Congress is going to go. And two, I mean, I don't know how much the current president, honestly, is is going to push for it either way. He seems more concerned with other things at this point, uh, you know, not necessarily stimulus <laughs> for the middle class. So, um, I, you know, I think we move the ball down the road, but basically it's it's just like you said, we it's a lame duck. Not, nothing's yeah. going to happen. I don't think there's any any consequence right now. Right. And so what that means for our freight markets here in the next couple of months, uh, they simply kind of shrug for the moment. Uh, We seem to be a little bit immune. Uh, You know, latest LMI findings show that uh, basically capacity is still uh, contracting and we still have expansion in spot prices. Um, Inventory levels are still going up. We're still moving along like it doesn't matter. The consumer behavior, Anthony Smith. Yeah. Are they feeling good? Let me know they're feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> the consumers, I think, are, are feeling are still feeling good. Um, but I think once the, the thing that's been surprising is that they've been active despite the any any more kinds of stimulus. And we're definitely going to see what kind of stamina this stim, this consumer has going into the fourth quarter. Of course, I think Craig Fuller put out an interesting piece not too long ago that a lot of them have saved up a mm-hmm. fair amount of money going into uh, the, the the fourth quarter from that initial stimulus. So um, there could be a fair amount. Of individuals still sitting on a, a good piece of cash right now, waiting, kind of saving. But there are, a, I think, that other half of the the consumers that are just like kind of waiting for more uh, stimulus that have just kind of burned through that first check or that initial jobs claims bonus benefits have already come through. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting well, to see. That's so, a great point, and, and that's that's what the LMI reflects. I think is that even if you have the bottom ten percent or fifteen percent not spending anything. The people that are going to spend money are going to spend it disproportionately in things like e-commerce or you know pick up from store or whatever, and that requires a greater intensity of logistics infrastructure. So Zach, like you mentioned a minute ago, the LMI is up; it's a seventy-one point six, the highest we've had in two years, third highest we've ever had, and that's really driven by by huge drops in in capacity, spikes in inventory, and and uh, really increasing prices, warehouse capacity. And again, for, for everyone who's new to the program, anything under zero, uh, under 50 means contraction, anything over 50 means uh, expansion. And the further it goes in either direction, uh, the more intense the expansion or contraction is. So warehouse capacity in October came in at a, a 40, which is the lowest warehouse capacity has been in the four years that we've been doing this. And so it's harder to get a warehouse now than it's pretty much ever been. Transportation capacity is at 38, also very, very low. And, you know, prices are for both of those are up in the 80s. What that essentially tells us uh, is that more and more business is happening with logistics services, right? So even if there's less retail sales or less people making purchases, a greater percentage of that is going to be using trucks and, and warehouses. I think we talked last time uh, that the prediction for this year 
go, going into this year, e-commerce was predicted to go up by 15%. It's actually gone up by 50%. All right. Wow. So think about that. We, we basically gone forward in time three or four years, because it's usually about 12 to 15% over time. Last 10 years, 12 to 15%, but now we're 50%. This would, what, what the, it, and, and so this is putting such a crunch on capacity. You know what it, it would be like, just hypothetically? It would be like if, say, there was a state, maybe one that I was from, maybe Nevada, and uh, before they'd only had 10% of their ballots by mail, and then suddenly 50% were by mail, and they realized, you know what, we, we can't count. We, we have no, which was not surprising, by the way, but, but we have no capacity to handle this huge surge the same way. So suddenly elections are taken a week, that same thing you can apply to e-commerce. We had anticipated 15% growth. Now we're seeing 50% growth and it's going to be really, really difficult. Uh, I think for firms to be able to meet consumer expectations. I mean, even giants like Amazon who have their own army of trucks, they're pulling up to my house in U-Haul vans that they're renting for day rates because, you know, they don't have enough, enough capacity to make deliveries. And they thought they were going to be leasing their trucks out to other companies. And instead they don't even have enough for themselves. They're driving up in U-Haul vans. So it's, it's crazy right now. And in some ways, in a perverse way, the pandemic going on because it's keeping people away from stores is actually fueling uh, growth in the logistics industry in a weird way. That's almost, inverted from other parts of the economy. Yeah, it's exactly kind of, it's almost like inverse of what we thought was going to happen. But like you said, e-commerce growth, that's more mobility with your freight versus the uh, the other way around where it can actually sit on a store shelf for a while or sit in a DC for a while. E-commerce is almost like a constantly moving machine, which has led to a tremendous growth in shipping over the last uh, several months or so. Now, yeah. Moving into the future a little bit. Now, part of that same article that was talking about, you know, the, you know, the election results, et cetera, uh, Greg Miller does a great job of covering this, this stuff on, uh, for American Shipper uh, on the Freightways.com website. And I encourage everybody to read this. Uh, but it talks into the future about how the vaccine and, you know, are, is also going to have kind of a long-term impact to the shipping behaviors. And one of the items that it specifically talks about is how you know, I've actually talked to somebody who said that that vaccine is going to be starting to be applied as soon as December to some of the highest risk, and it's going to be available to some of the high risk stuff. So that means that we're going to get started kind of mitigating the influence of the virus in December. Again, most of us will not see this vaccine until late 2021. Um, but what that's going to do is it's also going to have this negative impact to the shipping of goods. Do you think that that's that's an accurate statement as people are now going to shift back into that services economy away from buying stuff online. I think it could. The thing about the vaccine though, is it's, it's in some ways a different chain, right? It's, it's, it's cold chain. So the, the, the vaccine that just got announced, I think it has to be stored at negative 94 degrees yeah. or something like that. <laughs> so, if, if, so, you know, all your listeners, if you can go out and short some dry ice stocks right now, I would, I would think about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would, I would say that, yeah, that we are going to change distribution, but this, the distribution of the vaccine will be interesting because a lot of it, you know, Pfizer, even though they didn't take the you know, warp speed money to develop the drug, they are taking it for the distribution. And so I think we're going to have a lot of like military and government involvement in the distribution, which would be very different uh, from, from what some, you know, traditional retail distribution and things like that. Um, but 
now what what uh, greg was actually investment right so so that's that's the point right there's going to be a big investment in this infrastructure and i think that that infrastructure might just stick around i mean you know we're going to make this big investment to pop, especially to rural areas internationally we're going to put a huge investment you know every every week in the trump administration was infrastructure week that was always kind of the joke they might finally be doing it now that they're about to leave out the door. Now we may actually be putting money into infrastructure to, uh, you know, sort of ship this vaccine around. And hey, if if the, that infrastructure sticks around, I think it'll certainly have an impact on, you know, this industry moving forward. Well, the, the point of the, the misunderstand, don't misunderstand. I think the point of the article is actually talking not about the distribution of the vaccine itself and the supply chain that shifts to that, but the actual impact of people going back to their regular day-to-day lives okay, and they okay, now yeah they're now working they're not working from home as much they're actually going to go and spend money on travel and leisure uh go out to restaurants a little bit more so that disposable income now goes through a different channel and you're not spending money at home depot anymore does that make sense oh, to you? okay okay yeah, yeah. you guys got to send me the assigned reading before class <laughs> i should um, <laughs> no so, so i think that's right uh, and i think that will you will see a little dip in e-commerce but i you know e-commerce won't keep growing 50 percent a year but I don't see it going back down again just because people are are staying at home. I mean, yeah, there will be more money spent to go on trips and things like that. But, you know, I, I, I still think that people have frankly gotten used to, you know, ordering stuff on their phone or pick up in store or, you know, being able to do really easy returns. I mean, I don't see uh, the need for logistics services going away. And, and actually, in, in our survey, we asked people, hey, 12 months, 12 months forward, what do you think? And all of our price indexes are still up in the 80s, which shows that people still believe there's going to still be a crunch. Even if, yeah, we go back to normal life. I mean, people have taken lessons, I think, out of lockdown that they're not just going to forget. You're not just going to forget that you can just buy groceries on your phone and have them show up at your house without leaving just because you're allowed to go to the grocery store again. Um, so so I, I think, yeah, we'll come back, but we're not going to forget the lessons uh, of the lockdown, I don't believe. I like your optimism about the future. You and Anthony have that in common. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to think about uh, in terms of, I do think that people will still, you know, certainly like my parents, they've adjusted to this lifestyle of being able to order things online, uh, but they cannot wait <laughs> to start, uh, you know, getting out of the house without too much concern anymore. Anthony, do you have any thoughts on the future of, uh, of you know, into 2021 when we start seeing people go back into the office? Do you think that we're going to start to see some of these goods reduce yeah, so I think um, one of the main things that COVID has done is really unveiled a lot of options that people didn't know that they had. I mean, um, so many companies we saw just kind of probably the worst time for rework during the pandemic and, and renting office spaces and not needing that much office space for those individuals that don't need to be in the office. I mean, for those that can work remotely, can work remotely. And so kind of really diminishing that 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 social closeness and and. and invest in more in social distancing. But I think when we look at uh, being able to order groceries, when we have these things that are a little bit more convenient for certain individuals, I think we really saw the fast forward button push on a lot of innovative technologies um, that were maybe kind of these fringe things at the beginning of the year or maybe years ago, like, you know, maybe in 2017, who's ordering their groceries? Now, 2020, almost everyone that I've, I've talked to has been ordering some kind of some food or, or cold good online. And so um, we can kind of really see that fast forward button push. And so I think there's going to be a definite demographic of individuals that are going to stick into that lane and maintain that uh, that air of being able to 
operate in that socially distant realm. But I think, um, you know, everything's just going to adjust a little bit fine-tunely. But we have those younger demographics. And I mean, if you go to some of these hotbed cities, you're looking at Phoenix, um, some parts of California, there are some young individuals. You've seen the pictures of those uh, beachgoers in, uh, early on in the pandemic in Florida living life. And I think that's going to be a big part of the country. It's just going to be can we live life already? Can we go to music festivals already? Can we just go to the beach already? And I think those younger individuals are going to be kind of pushing that way forward. Right. So well, we, some of the stores aren't coming back anyway, right? I mean, we've right. lost hundreds yeah. of thousands of stores during the pandemic. So even people who want to go back to the mall, that mall might not be there anymore. I mean, the, the Macy's, uh, not that far away from me in Littleton, has converted to a fulfillment center. Like it, right. it's, you can't go into that Macy's anymore, but you can buy something and they can send it to your house. And so even if I wanted to go back, I couldn't. And so, you know, it's not just consumers who have taken lessons from this. It's, it's, uh, stores, uh, as well. And, and, and on that same note, so the, these companies have obviously adapted as well as consumers. That's a fantastic point. I don't need to send you notes, Zach. You're, you're already on top of it. <laughs> um, and, and I'm the guy that slid that paper under the, under the, under your door, the deadline anyway. <laughs> so um, one last thing, you know, before we close up shop here, China, do you think that it is going to remain the main source of shipping? Or are we going to start to see that kind of decline here in 2021? Yes. And here's why. Now, I, so I think China will, our relationship with China is going to be growing at a decreasing rate. Oh. And what I, what I mean by that is... We got like five seconds. You can't just, <laughs> you can't just play a whole turkey, right? Yeah. The infrastructure that exists there doesn't exist in the rest of the world. Yeah, I think China plus one, it's a good idea. Just uh -huh. leaving the political stuff out of it, just from a risk mitigation perspective, you, you wouldn't oh, have man. all your stock in one industry, right? You got to have a portfolio. So, right on. Oh, am I getting played off the stage? Yeah, we need so, another yeah. show. <laughs> we need another show. Part two right. Thank you, Zach Rogers. Uh, we, will, we will connect next time, and thank you so much.